0: Marty Frederick and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and back with me today in the flesh, back from Alaska and from Boston, Mm -hmm. world traveling superstar, Marty Frederick. Marty, how how has your world affairs been going for you?
1: It's been sweet. I've been everywhere. I've been from one ocean to the other, Uh, (laughs) literally within the span of like 10 days of the sick uh, Boston was for a job interview. I heard you, you, uh, kind of like dropping a little bit of the idea, like, Hey, Marty will share with you when he gets back. So it was for, <laughs> it was for a job interview. Don't know the results yet, but then like hopped on a plane, like four days later, had to visit my buddy in Alaska for vacation. We're in Juneau. Um, so some people would say that's not real alaska but it, it's definitely real alaska <laughs> i saw <laughs> it's i saw not chicago no <laughs> not at all i saw two bears i saw um a porcupine like like just walking around like <laughs> and then also saw a whale bro that's not tight. even like not even on a whale watching tour because they don't have any of those open yet like my buddy and we were sitting at this beach and this whale was like hanging out so it was like like we're just like sitting there for a couple hours drinking a few beers and there was this whale just
2: that's amazing
1: hanging out it was like <laughs> dude what is going on And it's like oh he's like yeah that's a humpback whale like he knew exactly what it was and he's like i you know, lived there for like 30 years so props to you john big john stearns hanging out with you but yeah it was fun man
0: that's pretty dope how many people can say i went to visit my buddy in alaska like (laughs) like is it him and 10 other people that live like that yeah it's him and
1: his wife and their daughter and then like no one else really (laughs) they said when covid was raging down here like the most cases they had in a day was like a hundred or something like that like that was their highest number because they just shut everything down and there's no real way to get there otherwise so like made it simple to so yeah it was sick man
0: I'm Word. glad to be home now. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, we're glad to have you back on. Um, and also, we're I'm glad because we have a, a guest today that both of us are pretty excited to talk about. And so maybe we should introduce him. What do you think? A
1: real world celebrity.
0: A real world <laughs> celebrity. <laughs> With us today is Ben Kirby. Ben, how's it going, man?
2: Yo, yo. You know, and as a card carrying celebrity, let me just say <laughs> that it is an honor for y'all to talk to me. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to bless y'all with a few minutes of my time. No, our I am friend, not.
1: Go ahead. Our friend, Sonny used to say that all the time. It's like, it's an honor for you to get to meet me today. <laughs> you meet and someone
2: I, for the first time. <laughs> in, the, in the acknowledgements in my book, I I write something to my wife and I say, uh, you were so lucky to have me at the yeah. very end. after the same, it's like super serious stuff. Uh, but no, I am, I am no celebrity and, uh, it's evidenced by. Like I've, I come out about like two months ago on like the biggest platforms in the world, in the news media, and not a single person has said a word to me out in public. Like the (laughs) level of celebrity that I have is so minimal, but again, it's fun to talk to guys like you that are trying to talk about uh, interesting and thoughtful things. And so I'm, I'm happy to be here and I do not, for those that are listening, that don't know me, I do not think highly that highly of myself, but it's cool to get the invite to talk with you guys and um you know i'm just pumped to be here
1: yeah well ben so we just have a couple basic background stuff we'd love to talk to you about so just give us an idea of who you are and what do you do
2: yeah uh that's pretty existential um <laughs> i am right now i run this weird instagram called preachers and sneakers and i wrote a book about some of the topics around the instagram but i guess if like career wise i I'm a little bit in flux. Like I uh, was a marine officer for the first part of my career, and then worked in the business world for a few years. Left the business world and went back to school to get my MBA here in Dallas. And it was during that time that I had this social media thing blow up, and that caused uh, somewhat of a detour in my career. So I, you know, two years ago, I would have said I'm a, maybe a sales guy or an entrepreneur looking to run a business or buy a business or something. And now I'm, I guess I'm an author and a podcaster, which is the most millennial term. And my parents are still like questioning if that's still a thing or not. And my wife is like, when are you going to make some actual money? You know, it's cool (laughs) that people follow you on Instagram, but when are you going to pay these bills? Yeah. Yeah. Um, If each one of them gave you a dollar a year, you'd be right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I would be happier for that. But then the case is, you know, very much not that at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, a very small, small subset of people that follow you are willing to devote any kind of dollars towards you. Yeah. um, I graduated from my MBA program in May of 20, which is like the best job market in history. And so I I spent like, while I was working on this book and, and prepping for it to come out, I was also like you interviewing for jobs. I mean, I've basically for the, from May or maybe for like March of 20 until about January of this year, I had been On the side pretty heavily interviewing for jobs and for whatever reason haven't been able to get anything going and so now to me i'm taking that as god saying hey maybe you should pursue this creative thing that you're doing even though it's weird and has no direction um so to answer your question is it's kind of up in the air like if the 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 book has had a slow start but if the book does okay and there's some things that come from that then i'll do that i'm open to that or if it just tanks then i'll i'll go buy or start a landscaping business or something. Um, Thankfully, I'm in a position where I've I've got a little bit of time where I can figure that out over the next few months. Nice. Which is a blessing. Like, you know, many people have to work minimum wage jobs to just make ends meet. I'm somehow in a position over the next couple months where I'm not forced to go be a barista for the time being. I might have to in like two or three months, but for now I'm trying to pursue some of these more creative things.
1: I get that, man. I've been there, so... Yeah. Uh, I mean, recently, pretty recently, I was kind of in that like, well, I don't have to do anything yet, but pretty soon, and then that pretty soon came, <laughs> yeah. and then and then COVID shut everything down, I was like, well, I can't even do anything, and then yeah. June of feeling. last year, yeah, <laughs> right, you know, June of last year, same kind of deal. Started back into work and work in retail, and sort of like, okay, well, you know, this like isn't the end of the world, but there's probably better, and right. uh, I think I think God maybe may have a little bit higher of a of an ask for somebody, but maybe, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do what he's asking me to do now. So that's right. Um, Well, I guess the other question we've got for you, uh, we have two, two other brief things. Um, This is a question we ask everybody. Who is your favorite ice hockey team? Um, Let's
2: see. I, I live in Dallas and so the stars are, are cool. I rarely watch them. The games are fun. Um, I'm also, a fan of the Nashville Predators because I love their fan base and like I can't claim them. I, I don't have any connection to them other than a lot of friends in Nashville. But whenever they went to the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago, I was a huge fan of how uh, their fan base basically came out of nowhere into this massive, like rabid group of hockey fans when they probably weren't hockey fans a year before. But I liked that, how people like the city rallied around them. That was pretty cool to me. Uh, yeah. and maybe Dallas does that in certain times, but Nashville, I liked their fan base. So those sure. two. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Good deal. Y'all big hockey fans. Oh, absolutely. Gosh, yeah. I wish I could get <laughs> into it. Like I, I think being at the games is fun. I love the violence and everything, but I wish I could get into it. Like, you know, a lot of us get into football or something or basketball sure. and many people are, but I'm, I want I want that for me for hockey and for soccer because it's just like the rest of the world loves This stuff, and yeah. for whatever reason, I just can't like get as enthused about it. Hockey yeah. is one of
1: those things where if you go to games, you'll get more enthused about it than if you like just walk, try to watch them on TV all the time. Yeah, because the energy at a, so like my suggestion would be. The way I got into it was in college. My my college team, the only D one program they had was hockey. So you okay. go to these hockey games and they, the arena is full. You go to the yeah. basketball game and there's like 15 people there. Um, nice. So if you go to like a like a minor league hockey team kind of game and just like you know spend a little bit of money like on the cheaper seats, uh-huh. I I can almost guarantee within a few weeks, you'll be, you'll be into it. You'll be
2: sold right that. away. Just everybody cussing, drinking yeah. beers, <laughs> exactly. stuff, not totally caring about the result. That's yeah. basically what it is.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's so, it's so fun too. And like, also I know the hang up, a lot of people have a hard time like on TV cause they just don't understand the rules yet. Uh-huh. And like, there'll be a random whistle and they'll be like, you know, what happened? <laughs> I don't get it. But yeah, I I love ice hockey. Um, Marty always jokes that I tell people that I play ice hockey to the same extent that vegans like to tell people they're vegans.
2: (laughs) Wow. So that's a lot of ice hockey.
0: Yeah. So he (laughs) he makes fun of me a lot, but uh, it's a great sport. I'm a huge Washington Capitals fan. Okay. So,
2: yeah. A lot of my Marine buddies were really into hockey. Hockey and rugby, you know, the violent sports uh, in the military, people were always looking for a chance to go play those. So, like, I was in Pensacola for a year. In flight school and there was a whole basically beer league which seems yeah like, straight up like that's what i in. <laughs> <laughs> but a beer league for hockey and they they really love that dope
0: yeah man sweet well one more quick thing uh our podcast is called rethinking faith and to kind of help us to get to know you a little bit better what do you feel is the most important aspect of your faith that you had to rethink
2: Who who let's see the most important aspect of my faith that I had to rethink
0: again with the existential questions. It's what we do here.
2: Yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me think for a second. Yeah, go for it. Um, it'll have to be something to do with like when you, so like I grew up, I grew up in Louisiana, the South. And so Christianity in the South is probably a little different than maybe in the Northeast and even in the Midwest. Um, there was some point in life where I like there was a moment where I I realized that there's a lot of stuff that I believe now that was just taught to me uh and didn't exactly have a basis in the Bible or if it did there are many smart people that I respect that are now uh viewing it completely differently and at a minimum it's caused me to reevaluate all the things that I believe so like growing up in in Louisiana conservative upbringing, uh, which I, I loved my upbringing. I had a great upbringing. Like I, I have no real major qualms about it, but like the assumption is that you're, and I write about it a little bit in the book, the assumption is that you're going to be a Republican. You're going to be on the right, uh, all that kind of stuff. The Christian way is to be on the right. And, you know, especially the past four ish years, that's made me rethink all that where it's like, wait a second, did, is there, can you be aligned with partisan politics and also follow this middle eastern guy that told you to love your neighbor as yourself no matter what um and so i've had to rethink a lot of those things like political things which i'm not i don't reject all republican conservative policies but it's made me rethink hey is there any merit to all the other sides that i've completely alienated or had alienated for me growing up um, and so I don't know what that is, and that's a, like a, a a ongoing thing for me because I, especially as a guy that's like worked for the government and has worked in a war fighting force, I've had to really uh, rethink how I can be like patriotic while also being globally minded or uh, being aware of other people groups suffering and flourishing. And the fact that God cares just as much about them as they do about us, yet we get in America, get all these extra comforts and safety and freedom and all that kind of stuff. So whatever that whole package of thing is, that's maybe what I've been rethinking as of late. Nice man.
0: Yeah. You're, you're pers- speaking, pers- pers- speaking our language. Naturalism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've done tons of episodes on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with, yeah. I don't know if you you did you take capitalism? Yeah. Josh? So like, yeah. that's the same thing too. It's like, I always grew up thinking capitalism was the way and it may still be the way, but I had never even given thought to the idea that, uh, Hey, maybe there are some negative effects of capitalism, or maybe we've, uh, worshiped at the foot of capitalism and in exchange have, uh, neglected people groups or neglected areas of the world that I don't know, like it, it's just not as black and white as I, grew up to think it was like capitalism america patriotism is the way it's like at least i'm now like i don't know man like any of this stuff can be become an idol and the moment it becomes an idol is like uh replacing god with some bs idea that cannot save you
1: yeah 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 well and, and unfortunately that's been the case uh in many people and i think our previous election showed that but a lot of other things have shown that too so yeah um unfortunately oh well, fortunately i would say we didn't bring you on to talk about politics although <laughs> thank you but i have not <laughs> a good <politics. laughs> Um so you you wrote ben you wrote this awesome book called preachers and sneakers authenticity in an age of for-profit faith and parentheses wannabe celebrities um so um, before you talk about it, like I read this book in like a day, guys. So you could get it and read it, and you would love it. Yeah. Um, so, I guess just to start with, like, you know, how did the whole idea come together, and you decided to then write a book? So, I'm, give us like the five minute history history of it. Don't give it all away because uh-huh. we won't be able to find the book. But like, how did I get started?
2: History of the book or the account? I
1: think the account. And then and then like and then like as that came together, like why
2: a book? Yeah. OK. Uh, two years ago, I happened to notice a worship leader wearing in a music video, wearing a pair of Yeezys that uh, Yeezy sneakers, which I don't know how many sneaker heads you have in, in your audience. But Kanye worked with Adidas and Nike to create these shoes called Yeezys. And they were pretty limited at first, and so I in a, in a this random worship video, I noticed the worship leader wearing an eight hundred dollar pair of shoes, or a shoe pair of shoes that if you sold that day would would have brought you eight hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. And I felt some type of way about it, and as in as somebody that grew up in the South, only had no exposure to these like East and West Coast metropolitan ways of doing church, I had one view of how to do church. And, and to me, I guess there was some tension where it was like, Hey, this guy's a worship leader. And at a minimum, he's saying that he can afford to not sell these $850 shoes. And um, that was during my MBA program. And I just made a couple of videos on my personal Instagram account. I had a few hundred followers and I just did it to make my friends laugh. Like I just noticed a thing and figured most people didn't know how much the shoes are worth. And that was the extent of it. Like I, had no interest in having a theological discussion about pastoral wealth or celebrity or anything. I, I just noticed some shoes that I thought were interesting and I made some videos about it. And then um, I think it was that day I had gotten some messages from friends that thought it was funny or thought it was crazy that shoes could be worth that much. Um, and then I had a friend encourage me to uh, create an account doing just that, just showing the, uh, street value or market value of preachers and pastors clothing. And I thought about it for a few days and about nine days later, I started the account preacher's letter and sneakers. And I went from posting videos to basically reposting pastors photos on Instagram that they had already posted themselves. And then with the layout app on my iPhone, putting a screenshot of what the market value of that shoe was next to it and doing just that with like a, a funny one sentence caption, the people lost their minds about it. Like literally lost their minds because people uh, for a long time, just assumed these guys were dressing hip and wanted to, you know, appeal to the culture and nobody really had a problem with that. But once I said, Hey, did you know, these shoes are worth $1,200. It forced many people that were fans and maybe critics to contend with that idea that, this, this marketplace of pastors are now living a lifestyle that seems a lot more like a celebrity or professional athlete or something. And so I, um, started the account and uh, four weeks later I had over a hundred thousand followers and I was interviewing with the New York times and all these other major media outlets because it, it, uh, one mainstream media loves a good pastoral scandal. This was hardly a scandal, but it had the uh, had the, the makeup of it where there was a lot of kind of outrage about it. And I wasn't outraged, but people that came to my account were outraged because many people have an opinion about this kind of thing anyway. Um, and so me being kind of a, um, moderate dude in the middle is watching this account blow up and all these people develop, uh, opinions and feelings about what my account is and isn't. Uh, and so it, that fueled it to go pretty viral, and so that was in March of 2019, and I did it all anonymously, at least for the past two years, for a host of reasons that we could talk about later, but um, very quickly, I realized that the sneakers were not the issue. Like There were a lot of deep-seated issues in people's minds and hearts that were not being dealt with and were being basically revealed by their interaction with my account, and that became very quickly evident, evident to me because people were being super mean uh one way or the other and so um it turned in from just like showing a look into this culture this weird christian subculture where we turn pastors into celebrities and there's pastors getting real wealth off of just preaching um into a this is kind of global discussion about the modern church's relationship to wealth and fame and image and social media and uh Consumerism, all these kind of heady topics that um, were much deeper than the sneakers. And so, two years later, well, a year into it, I realized that there was much deeper things to research and write about. And for whatever reason, I was the guy put into the middle of it. And so, you know, not really wanting to continue having this conversation about pretty messy topics that have no great answers, um, I tried to lean into it and dig deeper and write a book about the book is centered around around questions that um we all need to wrestle with if we care about the church's flourishing and it, the it ranges from what does it look like to get rich off god what do we do with christian celebrities all the way into you know are your social media posts causing others to sin that kind of stuff um so uh It's been an imperfect, messy deal. Plenty of people, if you see the account, if you come to the account, you probably have an opinion about it one way or the other. And, um, you know, I've just been trying to do right by the opportunity for as long as I can and try to get people to think about some things in a way that maybe they hadn't thought about before.
0: Yeah, right on, man. I remember, I mean, I still remember when the account was new, Uh, you know, just to to flex a little bit we were we were some of your first early followers Nice, <laughs> back when Thank the show you. yeah back when the show was
2: called theology doesn't suck um and then i, I think, think the, i remember that Did yeah y'all reach out to me or something we very well could have yeah i remember the name of that podcast i don't think i listened to it but i remember or maybe i've just thought the same <laughs> not all feel- she <laughs> doesn't suck but uh yeah that's cool man
0: yeah that was our our old name before we became rethinking faith Okay. Had a different a different host at the time. Um, but yeah, and then like it started, you know, to to get big and blow up. And then I saw you on a uh, bad Christian podcast, which mm-hmm. I used to listen to religiously, um, mm-hmm. not so much anymore. I mean, I, I like it for its entertainment purposes, and Matt mm-hmm. and Toby are fun guys. They were on our show recently, but um that's cool, yeah. Yeah, sweet, dude. Well, I think one thing that I really appreciated about your book was I mean, you, you talked about it. You kind of took like this moderate approach and really what you did was more so throw out these really tough, difficult questions and then wrestle with them a little bit and say, well, maybe it could be this, or maybe it could be that. Um, and so Marty and I thought maybe what would be fun instead of just grilling you would be, let's throw out some of these questions and have a conversation and see what happens.
2: Yeah. yeah. Love it.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's start with one that you already asked. Um, Is it okay to get rich off of God?
2: Yeah, it – the trap is to just say something definitively one way or the other, and in turn, you basically make yourself look like an a-hole because now you have to claim that everyone else has completely gotten this wrong over the years. Like I – many people that come to my account assume that I think that I've got the answer to this or that I am in a position to judge or position to make a judgment about, you know, who can make what and how much is too much and how many speaking tours is too many and how many books is too many. I don't claim any of that because it's impossible. And uh, anybody that can uh, probably should have written the book if they can actually find in the Bible where it talks about any specifics for any of these kind of things. But what I will say is that uh, I think after reading and uh, studying and writing about this for two years, I do think God cares about how we u- use his church um, in terms of our personal gain. And at a macro level, like at each micro level, there's all these different nuanced situations about like, well, so-and-so doesn't take a salary from such and such church. And, you know, he's comes from independent wealth, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't really care about any of that, but from a macro level, it sure does look at least to the outside world that our churches are being used to build up individuals personal wealth and platform and it didn't seem at the time that many people were pushing back on that at all or any people within those circles asking questions about it um, in a way that was constructive and not just like f you for making any money off of or for making a salary or selling a book or whatever like i'm again I don't think capitalism is completely wrong. I, th- I think we can all tone it down a bit, but I also definitely want people to get paid. The job of pastor is like super hard as, as you guys know. Um, and most pastors don't make jack shiz uh, for money, but this subset of pastors at the time were getting all the perks of celebrity status and having huge reach and having huge platform where you could basically it's I, I call it, a, and I stole this term, but a self-licking ice cream cone. like There was a network of dudes that were growing congregations with basically the same model, writing a book, writing some music, getting a band that you get your name on the licensing for, and then going around in each other's churches and conferences, preaching, getting paid to preach, and then selling your book to those congregations and conferences, hitting a bestseller list, and then in turn getting another book deal and getting the higher speaking fees, all that kind of stuff, where it's just like... You know, when is this not about pointing people to God and God alone? And when is it pointing people to yourself or growing your own personal brand? Like I uh it didn't seem like many people were were genuinely asking, hey, is this even appropriate? Like it's for for many churches, it was just like this is the um these are the outcomes or the products of a successful ministry, higher numbers. More people coming from all over to see this guy. Uh, people buying the books. It's just like all of this are metrics for success, and I'm I'm like feeling kind of like a crazy person where it's like, dude, it seems like this is all about a bunch of other stuff that doesn't matter when it comes to eternity. Like again, like I'm not a legalist by any means. Like write your book, get a salary, sell some real estate, whatever. Um, but in the context of what God calls His church to be, I think we miss the mark by just basically letting culture dictate how we do church and what metrics for success look like. So it's a bunch of words to answer a question that says, is it okay to get rich off God? The The short answer is, um, I think at a minimum you should consider how you're making your wealth. Mm. And if you're turning Christianity or people's salvation or, you know, guidance for people's uh, spiritual lives into a product or into a recurring stream of revenue i think you need to think long and hard about what you're really trying to do yeah. because god like literally did not come to sell his son or sell salvation it is a free gift now got it like people put in work people spend time people got to pay back for their de- their degrees and stuff like again i'm happy for people to make money but if you look at it from afar where it looks like there's this huge church like complex where there's all these different profit verticals uh it's it seems at least to the outside that it it looks like a whole lot about making money and not much about taking care of the world and pointing people to hope in jesus Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean so josh and i both work together at a place where if you came to the service um and and again any given sunday is like a first-time visitor like you walk in you haven't been there before um it would seem pretty kind of like you know produced and put together you know you know 60 minute 61 minute type service you know in and out the door kind of a quick thing everything's identical um and you wouldn't necessarily get the whole this is about money vibe because it was you know meeting in a high school and then it started meeting in like a smaller school It's like you know Cafeteria that had a stage in it, kind of a thing. So, like, you know, you wouldn't ever have gotten that money thing until you stuck around for a longer period of time over on staff and realized more
0: than one sermon. (laughs) Right. And
1: then you, and then you're on staff and you, you have this, the, the conversations about how many people came and how many people gave and, you know, what the giving was. And like, you know, and then, and then you start to see another angle of it. And it's like you kind of alluded to that, like, you know, it's, you you get involved in it and it's okay to make money. I mean, everyone has to make money. I mean, there's, if you're not going to make money working at a church, you're going to make money working in retail or you're going to make money working at a corporate place or whatever. You have to do it in some, in some way. If you want to survive in this world, I mean, you have to have some form of currency. Um, And, you know, but from the, I, I guess, you know, you look at that church that we worked at from the outside looking in, never attending, and you would probably never say, These people are about money, but I can totally get that. I have friends that don't go to church and they're not, they're not involved in church in any way, shape or form. Mm. And they look at a place like Joel Osteen's church and they say, well, this place has to be about money and money alone because that building is massive. They got all these people in there. Look at that fancy suit he's wearing, you know, like that kind of stuff. And they, and so I get that idea and that mindset. And you were talking about in your book, um, if you go to any, church any mega church or even maybe even smaller than mega church um you look up at the musicians you know you're you're going to see a pedal board full you said 250 dollars pedals most of those pedals are a lot more and i know because i'm personally guilty of the mindset of saying you know like well i need to have this and this and this and this and this and, this. and some of those pedals are in like the thousand dollar range yeah, yeah. the five hundred dollar range and then you get into like you know you know, sort of like shoes, you get into colorways that are limited right. and they become more and they become uh, sort of like this exclusive, oh man, you got the, you know, the, the one pedal that was only a hundred made in that color, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and drums and microphone. I mean, you get into all that stuff. So money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. Um, okay. but I think I'll, I'll throw this idea out there that you kind of mentioned in the book too, um, and see what Josh thinks or what you think about this. Um, the church that I recently was applying to in Boston. So they, they meet in, like literally in the city in a cathedral ask type space. Uh, but when I went there on a Sunday to lead worship, um, literally it was me and a keyboard player on a speaker system borrowed from another church and um, they rent the space. And that's literally the extent of like the financial aspect that goes into it. And it was all about the worship. Mm-hmm. It was all about, not the music, like the worship as a whole. Yeah. Um and then it became more so about like, hey, look at this amazing space that we get to be a part of. Um, but because of COVID, everyone had to register to be there. Mm-hmm. So beyond that aspect, everyone registering to be there, everyone wanted to be there. And that put up, put us in this place to be able to say like, wow, like we are, you know, now church looks different. You know, I mean, we want people to give because that's how this church is going to survive. how the salaries are going to be paid. But beyond that, what does the Sunday gathering look like? And I I think I I guess I've I've seen it from that perspective and I've seen it from the mega church perspective. I currently attend a church that's like, you know, three campuses in the US, a, a campus in Europe, you know, it's it's about, it's not about money, but I mean they have a large high production value. Um, and so I I I guess my question is, um, you know. How can we, and this isn't trying to jump ahead or anything like that, but how can we make our churches look less like they're about consumerism and more about worship, more about Jesus? And then even though that may seem like it's less attractive to the person walking by on the street, um, is being genuine a more attractive thing than the lights and the smoke and the pedal boards and and the, the preacher wearing Jordan 1s? like original Jordan ones (laughs) or something like that. Like, you know, is it, is it like, is there a shift? Is there a place where the, where the teeter totter goes the other way? You know, the scales are pushed and then now it's about something else, but the outcome is the same.
2: Yeah. I think our, there is a, I don't know what it's going to be, but there is a shift coming that is going to, I mean, we see mega churches getting in trouble all the time where the model hope Hopefully, smart people are going to eventually say, "Hey, this doesn't seem to be working." Even though the pieces individually are amoral, for whatever reason, this model doesn't seem to be producing what God wants us to produce. And again, like being big isn't bad, having good production isn't bad, but in an effort to, uh, because I played on worship teams for a long time too, where you know we were always praying for excellence and to not be a distraction. Well, that has turned into wanting to put on a show which elevates everything, but like it, it makes it the show being the instate, not the actual worship. Like you said, um, I think that's really cool. It's hard, you know, it's for people that are burned from church or never been to church before kind of coming into a super quiet space and having kind of awkward interactions can be uncomfortable. And so I don't know the perfect way to balance that. Uh, I think the posture should be to, Like, I think authenticity is super attractive for anybody, any rational person. And so like for your crew there in Boston that you interviewed with, I think they're probably going to attract people by saying like, look, this is what we're about. We're not about any one human here. We know we may not be the sexiest or not the slickest, but here's what we do know and believe, Mm -hmm. A, B, and C. And most people or many people I know are exhausted with performative BS. I'm exhausted from it. Like I it's refreshing to me to even have an atheist come out and say uh this is why I hate Christianity A B and C and here like the specific reasons what like that I have issues with. I appreciate that instead of trying to, you know, be pretentious or be, talk down, belittle, you know, me for being a Christian or for, you know, believing in a fairy tale or whatever, that kind of stuff. Authenticity is attractive to anybody, I think. Yeah. And if we can get to the point where our churches are saying, "Look, We legit are imperfect and we screw these things up. Our guy is not the perfect guy. We think he's a good teacher, but he's not, you know, God's gift to uh, Christianity by any means. Like there's a lot of individual people worship going on in our our major churches. If we can have our churches refocus and say, uh, we want to be here to point legit, point people only to God in the moment that it seems like we're not, please tell us or call us out for that because that is leading people astray, even if not passively. Um, Like I'm no expert on running or starting churches or anything, but you can very easily tell uh, uh, the people that are trying to put on a show versus the people that are trying to uh, work to improve their spiritual lives, improve the lives of others around them, and give God all the glory. Um, And so I think many churches hopefully are going to realize that people want depth and sometimes depth is uncomfortable and there's a way to say, look, we want to go deep here. We also don't want to turn people away that disagree. Let me create like my church here in Dallas is a huge church, but they have this thing on Monday night, um, every single Monday night where anybody can come and ask all of their hard, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it type questions um, doing stuff like that instead of having a unapproachable pastor that shows up for an hour and then bounces in his, Bentley or whatever, um, I think there's a way that you can create moments of authenticity and ways to refocus people on God instead of, uh, just making it all about the performance. You know, that's not super specific cause it's going to look different for all these different churches. Like I'm not asking Lakewood to f- sell the Rockets arena and never have a huge crowd again, but I do think yeah. plenty of us have ways or steps that we can take to not make it about us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, the goal is to grow. And you mentioned that in the book, you know, that you want more people to know about Jesus. And you want, you don't want like, no church wants to start and stay at 25 people forever. Right. And they, they want to get to that point. And, and so you get to the, there becomes a point in the scale where there becomes a balance of saying, we want to grow, we want to be, you know, a place where people find Jesus. And then it's at a certain point, the holistic jesus aspect becomes well in order to do that well there's a businessy side to it where yeah. we have to and so then how you balance that and Josh and I saw working at that place in Florida um where you know it was like 100% scales tipped towards the business side yeah. and it it became about an event each sunday was an event that we yeah. put on where jesus was like jesus was the subject part of uh, it yeah but like the way that it was presented. I mean, and Josh can share more about that too. But um, you know, I don't want to take everything from <laughs> like, I mean, it was, I mean, we we we've seen both, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Churches that are t- really trying to do not the businessy aspect and become about leading people closer to the Holy Spirit. And then we've seen places where it's like, I mean, yeah, God is here, but like, you know, what yeah. about these events we're doing? And <laughs> like, what about the baptism? We need more people for that baptism. And if we don't yeah. get more than three people signed up, we're just going to cancel it because that's not a good experience. And it's like, well, is it, is it about the experience that we think people are going to get, or is it about baptizing people?
2: Right. What's the metric for your success? If the success is people in and money collected, that is a, a BS metric that serves no one. Like it could be a good metric, but also what, what is the purpose of your church? And if your purpose is to continue just doing church over and over and putting on a Sunday service at a bigger and bigger scale, I think you need to reevaluate what your priorities are because God didn't call us to big builder and or big to build bigger and bigger real estate for real estate's sake. Like, sure. Like there's a capacity issue maybe, but you know, I get why it, people obsess over the business side of it because it's, you know, it's a realistic thing. Like we got to pay bills. We got to, you know use our money to pay salaries that kind of stuff but you know evaluating the proportion of money that you're spending on your Sunday service versus uh the money you're putting out into the community or into the world for supporting missions and all that kind of stuff i think if it's lopsided then you need to reevaluate that because sunday is great that's for most people that are already going to the church that are already yeah it's just like such such a deeper conversation because now you are got to yeah. talk about, like, what's the purpose of our Sunday service? Is yeah. it to build up the people that are, like, digging? Is it to pour into the the believers that are coming to go out and serve God? Or is it to attract new people? You know, that's a whole other conversation in itself. But, Josh, yeah. you got anything on that? Sorry, I, I've been rambling.
0: No, you guys are good. I've, I've been writing down. I have, like, a million things that I'd like to say. Um, <laughs> and I feel... <laughs> I'm going to like come off as an asshole, though, because I'm about to say a whole bunch of really opinionated things. (laughs) Um, But one thing that came to mind is just uh, I think growth is just a terrible goal, a terrible way to try to measure a church, because then people are sacrificed for numbers, essentially. Like, I don't think the goal of the church is to grow. Terrible idea, because you can grow in all these numbers and then – even if people are there and you have these numbers, if transformation isn't happening, I don't care how big your church is. And like that was one of my when I was a pastor, one of the most frustrating things was like, um, and I this is also gonna sound super like pipe, like pietistic or pie whatever the freaking that's right.
2: word is. I think that's the word. Um yeah,
0: <laughs> but like it. I was frustrated in how these people could come every single week and be we at all this stuff. We had all these numbers, but life transformation wasn't happening. Essentially, the church was producing cultural Christians, but a cultural Christian is somebody who still has no moral compass and can vote for somebody who is an insane monster. And I don't even like politics. Like, I didn't vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. I think both of them suck. Bang, so, bang. Like, I don't know. Like, so I, I have a hard time with that. I think the the church using growth as a metric, I think is a terrible idea. I also think that we need to stop planning churches. There's far too many. And then what happens is we have these really big churches that take away from the little tiny ones yeah. that are actually making a difference in their community. It's the tiny churches that make the, have the biggest impact. You know, the, the little churches of 50, 75 people that are set up on like the street corner in their city that know the names of the, the local business owners near them that are feeding the, like the homeless people that are, you know, stumbling in off the the street, all this kind of stuff. And so when we keep planning all these churches, we're just making more and more of a shit product that's not <laughs> working. And so, and it takes away from the little ones that like are, are still maybe have something properly going on about them. And I, I think the question that I wrestle with the most in regards to this, trying to find the balance between uh, like how you phrased it was like, where does production value stop and vanity start or whatever um, is, I just don't think church is about the Sunday service. It can't be like, because that doesn't, it, I don't think that really does much for people. I, and, and that becomes the consumeristic thing. So we're starting with the wrong question, I think. Um, And then, just sorry, again, I'm being super opinionated, but two things, um, what you never, (laughs) that I had a really hard time with was one, when we worked at the first church that Marty was talking about. Um, and we were taught and you were talking about earlier than how some pastors don't make any money. And then other pastors make insane amount of money. Mm. That was the experience Marty and I had, like, I remember Sitting on the floor in my house, crying because I couldn't decide if I was going to pay the electric bill or the water bill that month. Meanwhile, homeboy had pastor's car broke down, and what did he do? He just bought a brand new one on the spot that day, yeah. and then drove it home to his gated community and lived in his one point eight million dollar house with an HOA that costs more than the house I lived in. Yeah, like what is that? Yeah, you no, know, Marty was was living in this tiny little apartment with his. His you know ginormous family, cause nice, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, it's a six. And, yeah. so, <laughs> and so like that always frustrated me. Yeah. Um, just to see that because I think the truth is the majority of pastors are out there don't make a ton of money. And like they do this selfless act constantly. Um, that's not glamorous. It's not beautiful. And I think that's the majority of pastors, but they just get overlooked by all these big giant, you know, mega church million dollar dudes. And then the last thing I'll say is um, COVID really like put me in a difficult position with this question. I was feeling insanely guilty knowing that I was making a salary sitting at home doing nothing.
2: Hmm.
0: Meanwhile, the congregants at my church who also weren't able to work and stuff, were tithing to the church and paying me to do nothing in the middle of a global pandemic when they didn't have any money in the first place. And like that. It gets real gross. me. Yeah, Yeah. I was, I felt so guilty that that was one of, I haven't said that out loud to people, but that was one of the main reasons I stopped working in the church because I just couldn't do it.
2: Yeah. And then, yeah. And I think there's some wisdom in, in considering where your money comes from and like considering even just how it looks like you don't want to be living fear or by the opinion you don't want to live by the opinions of others but also I think it's wise to say hey people are out there struggling and they're donating in obedience to further God's kingdom right now God's kingdom is not getting a bunch of work right now I think I mean I think that's just a wise consideration I'd probably feel the same I think most rational people would
0: yeah. Yeah. It was, it was difficult. And one, one last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up. And then also I'm going to run downstairs real quick and let my dog inside because she is whining. Um, but something that Upton uh, Upton Sinclair said um, that really kind of summarized something that hit me hard recently was he said, uh, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon him, not understanding it. Yeah. That quote, perfectly describes one of my biggest tensions with working within the church world. um, Because I felt like there was so much stuff, like even my own spiritual growth that I couldn't indulge in because my paycheck depended on me not doing those things. And that was really difficult. And so that's a different kind of conversation about pastors making money. But I think to an extent, that can also be very dangerous. If we solely link our financial well-being cuz like you said we all need to make money that's just how the world works it's not bad to make money but for me having my salary and all that kind of stuff tied to having to affirm and accept very specific things was difficult so i i've said a lot i'll i'll stop now <laughs> yeah it makes it it makes right it back.
2: uh pretty messy when you have one guy or girl at the top i'll just keep talking as he So yeah, 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 you're good. You're good. Okay. Uh, where you have one guy and girl at the top that are basically making all the decisions and proverbially writing all the checks, like who in their right mind within that organization is going to raise some of these questions that potentially could affect your paycheck. And also who in their right mind is going to say, you know what, I want less money for what I do given like, you know, so it's just, it is it's kind of a lose-lose thing, or maybe, maybe not a lose-lose thing, but it's hard to expect somebody within those organizations to try to reform it if it's leading to them making more money. But I, yeah. I well, genuinely I, think it's okay to ask, or you, we should be asking, like, is this the best way to do it and yeah. the best way to structure it?
1: Well, I mean, and you say, you know, the tithe is to give the full 10% of your salary. And, the you know, the, obviously the... The money-making aspect of that for a church is to convince somebody that giving ten percent of the gross is better than ten percent of the net, because which one would you like God to bless? That was the that was the phraseology that was used. Um, but if you convince people and tell people, well, you know, maybe ten percent isn't exactly what you know. It's, it's more so a you know. I, I remember being taught by a mentor that you should tithe at an amount that puts you in a place where you need to really rely on God. Um, And you you're mentally in a state where you're giving to a, to a cause in which you appreciate and care about uh, either your local church or missionaries that you support or both. Uh, But you're not necessarily saying, Oh, well, I made $10,000 this month. So I'm giving a thousand dollars. It could look different each month because, you know, if someone makes, you know, $50 a month, you know, and you're saying, oh, well, you only need to give a small portion of that. It's like, well, but that doesn't cause that person necessarily to be, you know, so like a thousand dollars towards someone making 10 grand a month doesn't really put them in a place where they would have to be wanting for much, mm-hmm. depending on, I guess, depending on their
2: lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so the way I learned you it see was- how it's, You can see how it's kind of like, you yeah. almost don't even want to say it out loud because then it forces you to contend with it for yourself. Right. And you like start yeah. Yeah. To think about, like, ah, oh, shit. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I guess so. I the question I have for you, Ben, and I, I realize it's a it's a uh, it's a loaded question. So you you obviously there's not an answer, a right answer to this. But um, and to kind of bring things back to the sneakers thought process, um, it's a really basic, stupid question. So forgive me. <laughs> but you know, at, like what price is okay? for a pastor to be willing to spend on like a pair of shoes or sneakers or whatever. So like, I bought a pair of NMDs. Off nice. goat. They're, 80, they're 80 bucks and they look like they cost a lot more. Um, And then I was like, man, like, I want to get another pair of these. These are sick. Uh-huh. So my friend works for Adidas and she's like, Hey, like I'll get, I, I have a code. I can get you 50, Ooh. 50% off your cart. And I was like, dude, that's sick. So my wife and I both bought ultra boosts. Yes. So favorite within favorite this, shoe in the world, Yeah. So within, within the span of like two weeks, I had a pair of NMDs and ultra boosts that were brand new. Now the NMDs are like already falling apart and the ultra boosts, like I got all blacks. And so like I got a little like Nick in the foam and like the foam isn't black. So now they look, yeah, they look (laughs) ridiculous. And so like, I guess my question is like, so it's like okay, well, next time I'm not going to buy that. Next time I'm going to buy for you life. know this or that, like. And I've got old pairs of D roses. I've got like a pair of Lebron sevens. I bought like for like sixty bucks from Dick Sporting Goods on sale, you know. And so like, but now if I had a brand new pair of Lebrons, there were sevens or like something like that, and you bought them on goat, maybe they'd be not worth a thousand bucks, but maybe they'd be worth a hundred bucks. Or, like who knows yeah. if they were brand new. So I guess like you were talking about it in your book when you said things like um, you pay 150 bucks for these shoes at the drop. Now they're worth a thousand bucks. What they're worth is what someone is willing to pay for them, not necessarily what you paid for them yourself. So if you're wearing that, you know, ultra limited Jordan one or Jordan four or whatever, and they're really worth a thousand bucks and you're wearing them, that becomes irresponsible for a number of reasons so you know but so my question for you legitimately is like if a pastor were wearing this pair of shoes only worth 150 bucks like there's no real issue there at that point like and again i realize it's loaded and basic but i'm just curious like is there a level at that point like what does that look like and how do you formulate that and all that kind of thing
2: yeah uh, $299 and not a cent more, <laughs> a cent less. No, Got it's, it. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a trap question because of course it's kind of relative that, you know, mm-hmm. $298 versus $301. Like I don't want to get in the game of, of putting up because you know, there's all these different factors at play, like the lifestyle in LA versus the lifestyle in Northwest Arkansas is so different. Everything is like, a million-dollar home in Northwest Arkansas versus a million-dollar home in L.A. is so different. Um, the so the only thing that I've been able to hold to with this whole discussion, because I've thought about this a ton. I mean, I've thought about this one idea for like two years straight. The moment it becomes a distraction for anybody, it's worth reevaluating. Even for your $80 NMDR ones or whatever you got, yep. if somebody's emailing you about those after, it's at least worth considering hey, what is, what's my clothing telling the people that are giving to my ministry or that are at mm-hmm. least uh, looking to me for spiritual guidance or for to be led in worship, all that kind of stuff. The idea is to eliminate distractions from you and from everything other than worshiping the God you say you believe. If you don't believe in God, then this is a, a moot conversation. But in the Christian world, you know, we're always kind of like with purity. We're looking for the line. We want to be able to do as much as we can without being a sinner <laughs> up to the very point. And it's kind of like a directional thing. Like if you're, if you show up to lead worship in a new pair of ultra boosts every weekend, people yeah. are probably going to start noticing like, Hey dude, you got a lot of nice sneakers, bro. Those retail for one ninety. Okay. Um, But like moderation is, is super key. Like I think you can even have a pair of thousand dollar shoes in certain contexts given like as long as your community signs off and says like, Hey, we know you're not obsessed with clothing and image and you're not trying to flex on people. You just really liked this pair of shoes that you worked for a year and a half to pay for. And you have the right heart behind it. Like you can have a good heart behind buying stuff, I think. But, um, so far the only thing I've been able to go to is that the moment you're for you or the people that are watching you, the moment your clothing or your purchases are a distraction uh, as Christians wanting to serve our neighbor, we should care about not being a quote stumbling block for others. Yeah. Again, you don't, you know, want, if you sign up to put your life on the internet, you're going to have the input from people all over the world, and it's impossible for you to live based on the standards of hundreds of thousands of people across the world. Oh yeah. But if you you need to have people around you that can speak into that, I think, and that are yeah. willing, that aren't scared to say, "Hey, dude, you do like you some shoes and." Like you can't, you kind of are obsessed with getting a new pair of Ultra Boosts or whatever. Like I think that's way more important than putting a uh, a number on what you can and can't spend and what you can and can't wear because it's just yeah. like a never ending conversation. And I would be an a hole if I said, yeah, anything above three hundred makes you evil. Like, yeah, right, right.
1: right. Well, I'm like working like at like retail in an outdoor store. You know, I mean, a lot of the some things expensive you buy stuff at RAI, dude. dude so straight up and. You know, when you buy a pair of NMDs or like if you buy a pair of Air Force Ones, for instance, I mean, you're not you're not saying, hey, man, like I'm getting these all white Air Force Ones and I can't wait to hit the trail. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. That's right. But Like you you would go. I mean, and I've I've helped people pick out pairs of hiking boots.
2: Four hundred dollars.
1: and they're Gore-Tex or they've got this feature or they have this specific type of support that that person needs and they're not cheap, you know, they're not looking to spend 60 bucks. They wouldn't be at REI if they were. That's right. Um, and, you know, it the line becomes super blurred or not even a line at all because you get to that point where you're like, well, I mean, like the cost of what they're asking for. Materials-wise, for like something with the waterproofing or whatever, like they're not going to get it for that price, and so they need to spend this amount of money in order to get what they're asking for. But hey, like this dude's climbing Mount Everest in a month, and like he needs like this like super heavy-duty coat. He can't go to you know he can't go to the thrift store and get a new hoodie and be like, dude, I'm sick. I'm I'm going to be on the summit of Mount Everest in a month, and this right. will be fine. <laughs>
2: yeah, I am <laughs> so utility adds an element that legitimizes that to me more than right. buying a pair of $500 shoes for image and image alone. Yeah. Like fashion, I fashion, you can appreciate it for like, again, I'm not making rules for anybody, but I, I see the value in appreciating fashion for the art aspect, the design, the work that goes into even coming up with fashionable stuff, but it starts to get real. It very quickly turns into a consumeristic thing where it's all about trying to look, just look good to people that you, you don't even care about. Yeah. And for Christians, that's kind of vain and you should care about that. I think, I think you can be in the high fashion. You can care about looking good. You can care about uh taking care of your body, all that kind of stuff. But I, I think there is a difference between buying something for image versus buying something for utility. Same. Like people bring up the guitars, like the $10,000 guitars. I'm like, way have way less of a problem with $10,000 guitars because you kind of get what you pay for in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I'm, I think an I'm a
1: drummer thing. and I've got, um, oh, I've got couple, uh, I got a couple. Sick! I got a a couple. You know, custom snares, actually, from yeah. a dude that lives in Dallas. Which um, one? Andrew Davies. Uh, What's his brand? Davies Snare Co. Um, that
2: sounds really familiar. You should
1: look him up because his stuff is sick. It's really good. Yeah. Um, but then, like, I've also got a couple other things, and like, I mean, I get it, like you're talking about, but you know, I also recognize, like, at a three thousand dollar guitar, the the jump to ten is for like the super smallest tiniest little upgrade that only like the purist would understand but somebody on the outside would be like oh man like that's like you know the d45 instead of the d35 martin like those like the d45 is way better but like to them like that makes sense Uh, but to the guitar player they're like well i mean like you know, this one has Sitka spruce, but that one has Adirondack spruce. (laughs) (laughs) And and only like the insane purist would be able to be like, Oh no, it's a huge difference. But, but you're right. I mean, utility becomes a factor in this conversation in a way that like, you know, like Yeezys have very little utility to them. Um, And like some of those like foam Yeezys that like you never see anywhere. I mean, they have like zero utility Uh um, except for the exclusivity of it, you know, and um our boy josh and i we have a friend named ronnie who was on the podcast before and he used to be i think he still is all about like he'll get things at the drop and then he'll sell them yeah uh, and make money off of it but like that's what he's done he's not been like a, i'm gonna wear these these around and uh, arbitrage it's, yeah yeah and he's and he's really good at it like i've asked him like dude if you ever see if there's ever a drop for air more tempos, man i will i will i'll pay retail and he's like no that's not how it works <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you get in line and you pay retail that way So that's right. uh, leave it
0: to you, man. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I think just to kind of wrap us up here, it seems a lot, cause I mean, we, we asked one question and each one of your chapters is a whole another question. And so there's so much here that can be discussed. And I think kind of one thing that it seems like perhaps is prevalent is just this idea of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like this is all a wisdom call or to use our buddy, Dan Koch's language. It's like discernment from the top down or mm-hmm. bottom up, however you want to talk about it. It's all discernment. Um, and so, yeah, because that, I mean, even like you guys were just talking about that utility bit does change things, you know, it's nice to be able to have a soundboard that works and isn't distracting because the passer's mic is cutting out every two seconds, yep. but you know, where do you draw the line then between having one that works versus one that's just gratuitous and unnecessary. So wisdom and discernment seem to be a pretty core theme to your book. Yeah. Um, and to this conversation as a whole, and I haven't yeah.
2: completely achieved it, but it's something that I I really want people to, myself included, to work towards. Like we can always improve more in trying to be wise about how we spend our money and how we give and save. Like I think it's just even 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 if nobody reads the book and it's just for me, like <laughs> it's a helpful practice to consider our heart behind what we buy, why we buy, why we post, what we post, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. it was up. a great book. Everybody, you should get it. No doubt.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, reading, it, y'all.
0: Absolutely, yeah. man. It was fun. And we enjoyed this conversation. Um, we could probably go all day, but I know you have things to do and so do we. So thank you for <laughs> for, <laughs> for giving us some of your time, man. We appreciate it. Uh thanks for hanging out and uh for your work and for the entertainment that Preachers and Sneakers has provided for me. <laughs> yeah.
2: Happy to do it, guys. And yeah. great to yeah. meet you all. It's fun, it's fun to talk with guys that are willing to, you know, ask questions about things that aren't perfect, that don't have perfect black and white answers because that uh I think that's how we grow so it's helpful to me to have these conversations always so I appreciate y'all giving me some time and for reading the book and for passing the word along
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely man where can uh so I mean I guess the obvious answer is preachers and sneakers the ig handle but where else can people find you if they want to connect with your work
2: yeah uh preachers and sneakers.com has got all the links for the book and the podcast and uh I do have a podcast called the preachers and sneakers podcast pretty very dope creative naming creative um <laughs> And Twitter pre- at Preachers and Sneakers with no vowels. They don't let you have that long of a uh, handle. And that should be enough for people. But Preachers and com has everything there. So would love for y'all to check it out. And would love for people to buy the book. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to
1: get myself a hoodie like you're wearing too. That's, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Good deal. All right, man. Well, thank you again. And listeners, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, and as always, go Caps.
1: No, go Blackhawks. I guess the stars for.
0: The stars! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Alright, peace and love, guys.